I'm the lovely It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is The Mother Wound. I wanted to have this conversation because I think the role of mother takes many different forms in our life. And there's probably nothing that's more central to our development, to our perspective, to our lessons in life than the concept of mother. And in this episode, my guest Carrie and I talk about many different ways to look at mother, like what is mother? So obviously, you know, we have mothers that gave birth to us, um, brought us onto the planet. We have Mama Gaia herself. We have lots of different ways that we can relate to the idea of mother. And there's a lot of talk about the mother wound. And this can also be seen from many different perspectives. And so I asked my friend Carrie to come back on the show she was on in July and to talk about um, her work and what has come through for her around the mother wound. So she is joining us again today. She is a medicine woman, mother, and mentor. She's the founder of Inner Medicine Training, a mystery school that shares potent ancient traditions from the Andes and Himalayas for owning your wisdom and living your purpose. She's the number one international best-selling author of The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama, and Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound, which we talk about today. She's a healer. She's a mentor. She's a wonderful woman. She catalyzes these incredible mind shifts that transform people's lives and also have them sit in a deeper wisdom than they have before. Her newest book uh, that was released this year is called Inner Medicine, which we talked about when she was on the show before, Becoming One with Mother Earth for the Survival of Humanity. So with no further ado, my friend, Carrie Hummingbird. Carrie, welcome back to the show. We're happy to have you with us again. I'm excited to be here and to be talking about this particular book. I feel like it could help a lot more people than maybe have seen it up until now. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, me too. And that's why I reached out to you to have this conversation because not only from my own personal journey, and I know your personal journey, but I think over the past few years, we are looking at things a little bit differently. We are evaluating our relationships, certainly at the stage of life that you and I are in. You really start to, I think, look back on your own childhood and you start to try to make sense. And especially for people that choose to have children of their own, like there's a lot that comes up when you have your own child and how you parent them or, you know what I mean? The, the understanding of even what it is to be a parent and, and how, you know, 24 seven that is. And then I think you naturally start to reflect on okay, what was my, you know, take on how I was parented? And, and certainly too, if you choose to partner up with somebody, 
they have, they come with their, you know, idea of what it is to be a parent and how they were parented. And all of this is like converging in this moment. And it can just be like, it can be so overwhelming, I think in some respects, but it can also be like so freeing as you start to look through some of this stuff. And as you start to understand it a little bit deeper, I think sometimes in life, like we're just running around living life when we're young, right? Teenagers and, and young twenties sometimes. And, and then like, there's a deepening for a lot of us. And I just think that you sitting down to kind of share a lot of your own personal journey in this book and kind of like a wider perspective I really appreciated when I was going through it about our deeper relationship with what is mother and mother earth. And I love that the book is called Love Fiercely because really, you know, this is the core of how we understand love, the people that mother us, whether it's your biological mother, whether it's a caregiver, a family member. I mean, these are important relationships in our life. So I want to go back to kind of your journey in coming up to this book. Um, you know, you don't sit down to write something like this, like just on, on a whim, like, oh yeah, I'm going to write this book about my journey with my own mother and this idea of mothering. So where were you in your life when this started coming through? Yeah, so I had just published uh, The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama, which is a channeled text uh, from White Eagle about this current time that we're in. And that book came through as a surprise as well. I was like, hmm, okay, I don't know what the second wave is. What is that? And I started channeling the book and one month later, month and a half later, that thing was done. And then I was promoting it. And it was July when it got published. And right after I published that book, I was meditating on my lawn again, as I like to meditate on my front lawn. And my neighbors are like, that's so weird. And I was sitting there and uh, the message came through again. And I was like, uh oh, I just published a book. And I said, well, you need to write another one. What is this one? Love is fierce, healing the mother wound. Oh. And the thing is, I knew when I heard that, that it was true because my dad had passed away um, just before I wrote. Uh, the second wave, like I got the, the downloads for the second wave six months after my dad had passed. And in the process, that whole time leading up to July in 2019, when I published that book and got this download, I'm writing another one. My family system was just in a mess because my dad had been that rock of unconditional love in our family. And without him, like none of us really knew what to do. We didn't know how to talk to each other without him as a bridge. We didn't know how to keep the peace. We didn't know how to accept and love each other just the way we were. And my mom and I had never known that, like from the time I, well, I wouldn't say never, but when I was a young child, I go along fine with my mom. But then when I turned, started turning into a teenager and coming into my own womanhood, my relationship with my mom really shifted and it never really went back to that trusting space. Um, there was always this sense of being criticized or not good enough, or an attack could be coming out of anywhere. Um, she might lash out at me just for no reason, at least that I could see. So there was a very precarious relationship between my mom and I since, you know, teenagehood that never really righted itself, even as I became a mother. So I knew that that was correct when I heard that. Okay. Yeah. I need to heal this. It's time to heal. 
this. And I also kind of knew starting out that it was also about me as a mother that I was also healing because I was going through this period of being incredibly insecure about being a mom and my choices and my intuition and my wisdom. Pretty much from the time I birthed my first son, I had this deep insecurity about what was I, you know, how do you do this? How do you do this the right way? And, and so I knew that all of that had to be resolved because my boys were teens in their teen years and it wasn't good for them to see me in the sloppy mess, you know, that I was a lot those days, um, very sloppy mess on the front line, you know, meditating, crying, whatever needed to happen. And I needed to get myself together. I needed to understand and heal myself. So that book made a lot of sense. And it took three years to write that book, three years of deep journey with um, lots of meditation, lots of healing sessions, lots of contemplation, and lots of medicine journey with plants to heal myself and to heal these patterns. Yeah. And you talk about the patterns, and I think that's can be one of the most interesting things to kind of dive into. It's, it's, I don't know if you had this uh, experience, but when you start to go into your inner child and like what your childhood experience is, cause you at one point talk about writing down some, you know, some things that your mother was and wasn't in your life and some, you know, kind of statements about this. And so as I started to, I did this myself, like as I was reading through the book and I started to look back and it's like, you know, because we come into this relationship knowing nothing else, right? It's like your parents, you, you have no experience of life without them or the people that raise you. And so there's, you know, you see more as you get older, obviously, and as you are exposed to more things in life. But it was interesting when I was going back because I was like, there were certain things that I was really having to like jog my memory and try to like get in my feelingness of what certain things felt like, right? In that relationship. And it made me, as I was doing this, think about how often, you know, we don't really have a sense, right? Of some of the things like we might have these wounds and we might, you know, be carrying a lineage like you talk about in the book that, that your mother is just a part of, right? Like if you go back even further, it's like coming through the line. Um, but it really takes some contemplation. It doesn't surprise me that it took you three years. Cause it's, it's like, you have to kind of step back into those moments. We're so busy in life a lot of times, and we're not stepping back into those moments, but I really appreciated the invitation to do that because it had, there were like, you know, there's always gold in those, in those quiet contemplations about that. And, and even just returning to like, how did I feel at this age? Like, you know, what was around me? What was I perceiving at that time? So as you started to look back, you know, on your journey, what was rising to the surface for you that maybe you hadn't, you know, you might've said, okay, my mom and I've had challenging times, you know, at this point in my life or at this point in my life. But as you started to go back, like, what were you identifying was like a bigger picture that might be coming through your lineage? 
Yeah. So when I had a really rocky start in terms of the men in my life, right? So I always thought that my challenges were due to the men in my life. Um, the fact that my natural father was molesting me at like one years old, my mom had to remove me from that situation. Um, then she married another man who was um, a violent drunk. We didn't find that out till we moved in with him. It was too late, you know? So there was this sense of like the men are problematic, right? But what I didn't really put together until much later was that it was my mom that was picking those men. And then the, the third the third person that she chose was actually my dad, who was my dad all the way through 2019, uh, actually 2018. So he was with her part as a partner for like 45 years, you know, so that was ended up being my dad and he was excellent, but it, you know, three times the charm, but the other two were from zero to seven, you know, zero to five. So, um, that zero to seven time frame in your childhood development is a lot. That is setting the framework for how you think about relationship, for how you think about yourself, for how you think about the world. It's setting all the structures in place for how you perceive yourself and the world. And it's so deeply embedded that it takes a lot of in-depth um, I wouldn't even say psychological, I would say subconscious work in order to get at those structures and heal and revitalize those structures, which for me was energy medicine. So when I started seeing these um, patterns, you know, of selecting um, certain kinds of partners, I saw myself in my selection of my first husband and who was very argumentative and very controlling and very critical and like microaggressions constantly trying to erode my sense of self-confidence. And, you know, and, and so I just kind of self-selected what, like the environment that my mom had created and, and then my mom's nature too. So I was like, wow, I often said I married my mom because that's how I felt from her from the time I was a middle school kid upwards. As soon as I got my period, I started feeling like my mom is constantly on my back. She's constantly pecking at me. She's constantly criticizing me. I'm never good enough for her. She doesn't celebrate anything that I do. She's not in my soccer games. You know, she doesn't come and cheer me on. It's like, it, it's like, it doesn't even happen. It's not even important. You know? So I felt like I could see myself as that latchkey kid, you know, sitting at home by myself, um, not able to leave the house, not able to go visit anyone, having to stay put. And that was my situation. Like many people in my generation, that was our situation from middle school through high school was basically having to fend for ourselves after school and, and not having any ability to go play with other kids or have moms around in, in groups and community and things like that. But this sort of solo isolationist existence and so we can feel resentful about a lot of these things as we start to uncover it. Like when you did your, when you answered the questions, that's why these questions are so awesome. And I want to say that I was inspired in writing that section by the book um, by Peg Streep called Daughter Detox, which Peg goes really deep into these wounded patterns and um, it, it goes extremely deep and also into the psychology of it. So it's a really great reference. I don't need to repeat that work. So I didn't, I just refer people, go ahead and look at that book. It's very useful, but where I wanted to move was beyond what Peg did because Peg's all about like, she's, 
um, really deep into the blaming of the mother figure and I am not. So I wanted to move beyond blaming my mother for what happened. And I wanted to move into an understanding of how this was part of my soul's curriculum. That's where Peg and I differ. And, but her material is excellent for a starting place to figure out, you know, what did you experience that wasn't so loving that you thought was loving because you didn't know any better. And then to move beyond that into that was for me, actually for my curriculum, somehow that benefited me to have that latchkey life, to have that henpecking, constantly criticizing, to have the control, you know, that was actually for me in my uh, soul's curriculum. So I wanted to move people into owning those shadows in my book. And I feel like that's the bulk of the book is really seeing ourselves in those cultural patterns and owning it. And so we can heal it. And do you feel like we select that? Like we select our parents and we select these experiences as part of, you know, our soul's lessons and the things that we come to earth to learn? Absolutely. And this was a concept I didn't even think of after 20 years of psychotherapy. It was never presented to me. I just want to say, you know, that concept I did not hear after 20 years in psychotherapy weekly. Um, And not to shame the psychotherapy industry, but I'm just saying, you know, we can improve it. It's time to give it an overhaul. Um, I heard this concept actually from one of my first spiritual teachers, um, more pivotal foundational spiritual teachers, um, Alberto Vialdo of the Four Winds Society, when I studied um, energy medicine to be an energy medicine practitioner in the way that the indigenous people in the Andes Mountains practice. And so when he's a bridge from the indigenous wisdom of the Andes into Western consciousness, because we don't really understand the way that people think about things in the Andes. We, we in the West, we need a West teacher to teach us because our brains don't work that way. <laughs> you know, we're like, we don't understand. So he's a bridge of that. And when I studied with him, I would say my first class, there's 70 adults in the room like myself, except that they're like pretty amazed. I mean, not that I wasn't amazing, but I'm like, I'm a mom. I'm a, you know, I'm just kind of feeling like I'm a, I'm a mom. I'm a ex high tech person. I'm trying to be to something else. I'm improving my life. You know, I wrote a book, you know, but I am in the room with microbiologists and like physicists, really smart people. I'm just like, Oh my God, I don't, I, do I belong in here? <laughs> people with PhDs, you know, like, and to all of us, not just me, but to all of these amazing, brilliant people, he says, Everybody in this room has mommy, daddy issues, and I'm going to teach you how to get past it. And we're, we're, first of all, we're offended, you know, like (laughs) don't talk down to us. Our egos immediately go up like what? And you can't say that to us. And, and he says it again. And then we're kind of relaxing and admitting it because by now we all know how many years we spent in psychotherapy (laughs) and (laughs) taking drugs and everything else. And he's like, you chose your parents. The moment you accept that as a soul, you chose your parents, your life is going to improve. And I could see the wisdom of that. I could, something deep inside of me fell into recognition of that truth. And I said to myself, even if it's not true, it's still empowering. So it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You know, if I'm a soul that lives many lifetimes, or if this is my only life, it's really empowering to say, I chose those parents because now I can ask myself, why, what did I get? Because I don't think I would punish myself. So what would I get from having the experience of having these parents? What, how would that make me stronger, more wise, more empathetic, 
what are the gifts I got from my upbringing? And it places me in a position of power to make that choice. And empowerment is really the difference between spirituality and Western psychology. You know, we're empowered to transform our lives. And that sounds so much better to me than wallowing in self-pity the rest of my life. So that's why I took the journey. I love that. Yeah, it's it's a different, you know, those shifts in perspective make all the difference to how we feel in our life. I, I remember being younger and there was a period of time in my life where I was doing a lot of work on myself. I was trying to understand, you know, some some sadnesses or heartaches in my life and then looking deeper into like why. And I went through like a real period of, I would call it even like rejecting or blaming my parents and, and kind of like, it felt like pushing, you know, pushing them off, like in the sense of like, the first time you notice something that's awful, right? And you're just like, what? Like, how could they? And like, how and why? And, you know, why would you do that? And and then that followed with like a time of like really trying to fix them, right? Like you just need to, and this even goes down to, it's so funny when I was 16 years old and I was going through my, like, or prior to 16, going through my driving tests and learning, I remember just watching my parents drive and thinking they don't put their hands at 10 and 2, like, I, I mean, I, do you guys not know that you have to have your hands at 10 and two? Like, you know what I mean? So I would like go, you need to drive like this. You're not driving right. You don't have both your hands on the wheel. And and they would like laugh. And I look back at that and just think it's so funny. But I remember around that age and then into my young twenties, just feeling like th- they needed to be fixed. Like there were certain things that they weren't aware of that they were doing. And, and I, it was my job to fix them. And that was met with a lot of frustration, right? Like a lot of resistance on their part, right? They're like, hey, kid, (laughs) we've lived a long time before you came along. Um, And I really felt at that time, like I was trying to help them like be better people. But but that wasn't the journey, right? Because that was me like looking out to them. And it was when I started to look at me, right? And, and my role and understand who I was in relationship to the things that I've experienced and the filter that I've filtered them through, that it became so much more powerful. And there was like a point in my life where I, and I don't know how this happened. I mean, sometimes we just like pivot on our access like, you know, we've had enough information or learning or connection that there's just like an internal shift that happens. But there was something that released for me in that I don't need for them to be anything other than what they are. And I don't need them to see all of me that, you know, there are aspects of me that I always felt like they couldn't see. And I just came to this place of like, that's okay. Right. Because I had grown up enough that I had other people in my life that saw those parts of me and that felt so good. And, you know, those relationships felt so lovely, but it was just, you know, it wasn't one event or anything. There was just this shift in like, oh, it's okay. It's okay that they, you know what I mean? After all the fight that I had, they must see me or they must understand this or they must be different in these ways. And it was so interesting, but I don't think I would have ever gotten there had I not had that shift of starting to look at myself, right? Rather than the exterior world. Do you know what I mean? And like, they need to be different or they need to be fixed. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, and I think 
Absolutely. And I want to say like, for, it seems like you were certain of yourself, but you were looking outwards and seeing things outside that needed to be different. And sometimes it's the opposite. So sometimes there's like a lack of self-worth or a lack of self-awareness. And there's a feeling that there's something wrong with me that's making them act that way. That was kind of my lens. So I was constantly turning in on myself and looking for what was wrong with me that was making the world act the way it was towards me. And I was taking total responsibility, centering myself completely as responsible for everybody else's behaviors and and towards me and, and in my family and trying to like fix it or apologize for it or be better somehow so that they would stop doing it or whatever it was. And what I finally came to, and this was right after my dad passed away, and I said, I hadn't even started writing the second wave book yet, right? But right after my dad passed away in the fall, and I went to um, this event with my my mentors, who are my mentors now, George, uh, Kansas, and Tracy Trottenberg, and I was out there, and they had this Own, Honor, and Unleashed events. And all of a sudden, I was like asking, they were saying something that was stirring me. And I asked, how do I have any ground to stand on? Because my mother just seems to own everything. She just owns even the ground. Like I can't even have a spot to stand on and speak my truth without her sort of like in my space for me, like feeling like I'm offending her or I'm going to incur her wrath if I say something. And like, how can I have my own voice and my own land. And George actually got down off the stage, came over to me with duct tape and like duct taped a square around me on the ground, on the carpet. And I started bursting into tears. He's like, you can stand right there and speak. That's your spot. Mm. And I just burst into tears because for the first time, I really felt like I had a space to express what I wanted to express, to say what I needed to say from my heart and to stop worrying so much about how other people were going to react to what I had to say, which is really part of my life journey. You know, part of my life journey, I'm a manifester by design. So anyone who knows human design, I'm a manifester. I am here to shake things up. I'm here to follow my inner guidance and just do it, even if it conflicts with everybody around me and they get all upset because I'm I'm disrupting the conformity and I'm doing it different and I'm being unique. And, you know, and that's always made me uncomfortable because I disrupt other people and they get upset and they don't like what I'm doing and they think I shouldn't be doing it. And they tell me really vocally how I shouldn't be doing this thing. And then they get upset and then I feel bad because I offended them. And then I'm like twisting around inside of myself, right? Trying to grapple with this task that I've been given in this incarnation, which is just do it. Just follow your inner guidance, say what you need to say and do it. So you can imagine writing this book was like really yeah. hard because the first thing we all, I think most of us feel is this sort of betrayal feeling. If you talk about your mom, it's like, you want to almost do anything you can to not talk about your mom, you know, to other people or say bad things or say anything that's not really glowing and positive. It's like really hard to that feeling of you're betraying your mother by saying these things. And so here I am writing this book, Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wounds, which automatically, if you never picked up in the book and you didn't read what I'm actually saying, you would think I'm talking about my mom being so horrible. But that's actually not what I'm saying. I'm actually saying 
that we're part of a lineage. We're part of thousands of years of women that have been conditioned in certain ways as to cut and tear ourselves down and to cut and tear each other down. And to have these patterns that run through the book that I identified as like really disempowering ways of relating with each other. And so it starts with being able to say, this is, this is what I experienced with my mother. You have to at least be able to say that. You got to start there. Yeah. And I mean, same when I wrote my book, right? Because I share some of my personal life experiences. And I mean, terror is really an appropriate word for what I moved through in writing some of the things. I mean, I before it came out, I was like in a heap in my bathroom, sobbing my face off. My husband's like, are you okay? I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I can't put this book out. Like I'm, you know, he's like, you did not spend two years writing a book to not put the book out. Right. Like this is about getting over your fears about this, but it was the same experience. It's not like so much that you're talking about the person, right. Of who your mother is. You are talking about your experience, right? Like with life, with your mother, with your own lessons. I love in your book, relating it to the larger mother, like Mama Gaia, right? And how we treat that mother, right? And how that mother is part of us. And just looking at mother in a much more expanded way than I think most of us do. And I like you know, when I talk about the patterns, again, the pattern doesn't live with just our mother, the pattern lives in the lineage. And when I was going through um, a really, really tough time looking at my relationship with my mother, like, I saw this pattern of um, in my female lineage, and I have, you know, on my female side, there it's mostly women. So I had, you know, obviously a grandmother, a great grandmother, a mother, an aunt, you know, so there are two daughters, and then a lot of female cousins. And I started to see this lineage of women feeling like they needed a man to survive, right? Financially, predominantly financially. And what was so ironic, you know, and, and at the, you know, if I go back to my grandmother or my great grandmother, I mean, there was, you know, lots of society, right? Just belief in that that has evolved, I think, over time. Um, but but when you look back, you see a lineage of extremely brilliant women who kind of like stepped back from their own brilliance to funnel that energy into a man who was going to provide for them and protect them like at the at the expense of them right at the expense of like who they really are and and it doesn't surprise me like with my great grandmother it doesn't even surprise me with my grandmother but what was really powerful is starting to looking look at my mother and my aunt and my cousins that are not much older than I am. And how, even though the world has evolved in so many different ways, like how prevalent this pattern was like in people's belief systems. And, and it really like, that was a great looking into myself and really looking at like, okay, where am I carrying this pattern? And and how, you know, how is this affecting my choosing and my life? Um, but when we start to identify these things in our family system, like it is, it shakes your earth in a way that like opens up so many doors. And I just can't like, I can't tell you the value in that. Like, and also the connection that I felt 
to my ancestors, like this, this, like, you know, this womanhood connection with my ancestors and understanding that, like, we're not looking at the person like, oh, you're a bad person because you've experienced this in your life or you've done these things, but seeing it more as like a through line that has followed, you know, in your family system. And then you have choice around it once you realize that. Yeah, it's actually really powerful. And I didn't go into this in the book because it's I had to just focus on one avenue, you know, which is my experience as a um, Caucasian presenting woman, a white presenting woman. I had to just focus there. But there's actually a lot of patterns um, running through our ancestry when you're talking about a Celtic um, or a European person because of the way that our culture evolved, there's these expectations that women will be weak and subservient and pretty and pleasing and follow along with whatever the man wants. And that is meaning that there's a whole time in our nation where um, there's been some really tragic um, cultural phenomenon, like enslaving people of color, for example. The women didn't speak up to stop it. Because why? Because we've been, our voices were stripped away. And so as we enter this time on the planet, when we're here doing podcasts and we're using our voices and we're speaking finally, you know, we're speaking up, we're speaking out. Um, we're, we're healing so many things all at once that it can feel really overwhelming. You know, it's like, what area should I look first in order to heal? Because we're using our voices. We're speaking our truth at the same time. We're sort of being told you don't have a right to speak your truth because you're in white skin, you know, and there's this sort of like anger and hostility. Why didn't you do anything? And why haven't you done anything? And why haven't you spoken up? And why haven't you? And it's like, well, you don't understand. We might've been having privilege on a pedestal, but that pedestal was very precarious and you could fall off of it and totally get killed, you know? So it's not like it was just, we could speak our truth and we could say what we needed to say. Actually having a strong woman is a really unique thing. You know, like my mom leaving my, her first um, husband, my natural father, <clears throat> she was not able, the courts at that time, I was 1969, they wanted proof that he was molesting me before they would do anything about it. Well, that means that it has to happen in order for, you know, like a full molestation and some kind of camera evidence or something. She has to catch it in action and get it on film to prove that it's happening means that it's going to happen. And all those things happen in the dark, like in the recesses out of public view, you know, so this is the battle that women have been fighting. I don't care what skin color you are for thousands of years. We need to all band together now. Like we need to stop having these little petty arguments about things. This is the way it is right now. So what are we going to do to, to heal it? What are we going to do to come into our power, to speak our truth, to band together as humans, as one human family and heal this once and for all, because yeah, the great mother mother earth is calling us all home and when we align to mother earth we start to get clear about what's actually important we can get out of our ancestral story and into the planetary story and the planetary story has a bigger picture to offer us than our ancestral or familial stories or even our cultural stories the planetary story is the story of the whole planet and our place in it 
And when we can align with that place, we're going to get much more clear guidance on how to uh, how to take these steps forward through this really murky time that we're in right now, where everything's being revealed and people are angry and upset and all these feelings are coming through their bodies because of ancestral traumas and that are healing at this time. And so it's just, we need to really have a lot of compassion and grace for ourselves and for everybody else going through this upheaval. And I think the way to do that is to connect with Mother Earth and really be grounded in that space and listen to that wisdom from her um, on the next steps that each of us should be taking. I like that couldn't have been said better. It is so important. And also the understanding like that we are purging stuff like that. It's not always like the triggers are not always new stuff, right? Like the triggers are sometimes things that just need to come up and move. And when we're not aware they, they can get projected onto other people or other groups or things like that, instead of just understanding we're, we're emptying, right? Like some of this ancestral trauma and it's coming up through our bodies. And even, you know, it's, it's funny in my life because my connection to mother earth has been so disconnected at sometimes like I have had, you know, times in my life where like, I don't even think I like ever took my shoes off and like walked in the dirt or the grass. Like there are chapters of my life where it's just been, you know, disconnected and, and I have resisted in some respects, like being connected, because I think, you know, sometimes we resist the healing is the truth of it. Sometimes we resist facing the things or looking at the things or feeling the things that need to be felt to evolve. And I think that's very real for all of us on our journey at different times. But I lately, it's like, I have to go outside. I have to be with her. I have to take my shoes off. Like I live in an area where no one else is doing this, right? So I... <laughs> I literally have a relationship with a tree in my in my development um, who that has been here forever because I live on a, a property that used to be a ranch and it has all this history and it has these beautiful big oak trees that have been here forever. And I go and visit my tree and we have a conversation and I sit on a rock next to it and I take my shoes off and people walk by me and like, what is she doing? <laughs> like Because everyone's out on their walk and I'm like sitting there with my shoes off. It's like, I, I look like I hurt myself or something. But I am you know, I need that. Like I need that, you know what I mean? That exchange. And I find so much, um, I feel like my body just like literally becomes different when I'm in that environment. And, and so I say this for people because I'm not the person that was always, you know, out in nature by any stretch of the imagination, but about this time you're, you're feeling a lot or your body is reacting to what you're moving through that really mama Gaia can be like such a beautiful healer and and a and a and hold us right hold us through this time yeah, that was really one of the first realizations I had in energy medicine school, besides the fact that I chose my parents. <laughs> Thank you, Alberto. <laughs> but also that my mother was actually the divine mother. My mother was Mother Earth. And so when I aligned myself with Mother Earth, it helped me to accept my biological mother as like a, a kind of a sister because she's a child of Mother Earth as well. And when we can align ourselves to that truer source, that connection to our divine self, our divine um, source. And in physical form, that would be Mother Earth because we are made of Earth. We're made of all of her elements, Earth, water, fire, air. You know, we're not like made of some other material that didn't start out on Earth. We're made of Earth itself. So when we can actually go, okay, I am made of Earth. I am here on Earth and I am a child of Earth. I'm a child of the divine. Then when we can do that, 
we can actually um, for, sort of forgive everybody else for whatever they're doing because they may not realize that yet. And we can also see people in a in a horizontal way rather than a vertical way. And I think that's part of also what I talk about in the book is that in Western culture, we see people in a vertical way. And this gets in all kinds of trouble with um, white supremacy and all that kind of stuff, but also in our family lines, because we see everything is in this sort of hierarchy where you never actually, you're always a child. Like you're never actually stepping in as the adult in our culture, because the parents always hold this sort of control as being the um, above you somehow. But when you switch yourself into understanding yourself as part of earth, as a child of earth and everybody else is equal to you, even if your parent birthed you into the world in this incarnation, your parent is still your brother or your sister. That's who they are. And this is an indigenous concept, actually. So this is how many indigenous tribes work, is that they do honor the elders, but they also recognize that everybody is equal in the tribe. Everybody has an equal voice. That's why they do a talking stick circle, and everybody goes around and shares their perspective. Is because every voice is important. Every voice is equal. And in the model that we have in the West, not everybody's voice seems to be important or equal. It's like sometimes you might, like I got the sense that I couldn't speak my truth, that that was, um, you know, that was somehow disrespectful to her. If I voiced my truth that happened to be some perspective involving her that she didn't like, then I would be being disrespectful towards her or dishonoring her for me to speak my truth. But we need to learn how to speak our truth. And we need to do that with everybody, right? And so sometimes if you if you've been on this path a little while and you've been listening to Mother Earth and you've been meditating and you've been being still, you're probably getting some ideas of or some inspirations of how you should be what you should be saying or doing. And you might be getting some ideas that feel really scary. Like I can't say or do that because this will make these people really upset or really angry, or this will cause a lot of problems over here or, but actually you doing the thing that you're inspired to do from the inside is the correct path. And this was something that I really got strongly as a mother with my eldest son was that I got a, I had a ceremony. I talk about this in the book, but I had a ceremony one night and my representation of, for this, for this book of the mother energy was white Buffalo calf woman. And she came in and she said, your lessons are not your son's lessons and your son's lessons are not your lessons. And what that did for me was to put a boundary between me and my son. And there's something I learned from my teachers at the Power Path, which I really always remember, which is stay in your own lane. So as a soul, if we can learn how to stay in our own lane, to me, that means I'm on the freeway, I'm driving, I'm not going to crash my car into your lane because I think that you ought to be doing things differently than you're doing them. I am going to stay in my own lane and I'm going to be with my feelings about what you're saying and doing and process them myself. And if I have an urge to fix you, I'm going to stay in my own lane and be with my urge to fix you and not do it. You know, and if I feel like you're not letting me speak, I'm going to go in my own lane and ask myself why I'm not letting myself speak. You know, so staying in your own lane really means not making anybody else responsible for anything that's showing up in your life. 
but claiming total responsibility for all of what you're perceiving in the world as yours to heal and transmute because you're perceiving it. You're the witness, you're the perceiver. And so trying to get everybody else to perceive the way you perceive is what's causing so much friction right now on the planet because we don't all perceive things the same way. And there isn't one empirical correct reality. And we're not all like um, under some kind of spell, except our own spell that we're perceiving life through. And if nobody else sees it the way you see it, that is not a problem that they don't see it the way you see it. It's actually just the fact that we're seeing things completely differently. And we're part of a giant kaleidoscope that's seeing all the different facets of this reality that we're experiencing right now on the planet. So if you spot it, you got it. That's yours. And if you want to share what you saw, cool. But don't expect anybody else to get it. Don't expect anybody else to understand. And don't expect anybody else to agree. And I think we're, you know, we're busting so much of the conformity that I talk about in the book as well right now. And these are the, these are all of the underlying structures that keep us battling each other because we're really wanting to be right about reality. And when we can bust through all of these things, we can actually end up on the other side as sovereign co-creators with unique perspectives, with thumbprint journeys, no matter who we were birthed through, that are have an equal right to be happy and prosperous and enjoy and together and in purpose. And it's going to take a little while for us to rewire ourselves for that kind of environment, for that kind of world. But that's where we're headed as we heal the mother wounds. And that's really the mother is the one that appreciates every child for their unique gifts. That's the healthy mother energy, right? But that's been toxified by our environment for the last thousands of years. So we're healing that so that every child can be loved equally, but uniquely. Mm, that's so beautifully said. And it's so true. And, you know, I think the communication is that, you know, when we look at oneness and we look at what we're all here with our unique perspective and how we can honor that, because I think everybody has their ways that they can really honor that. And everybody has their ways that they resist that, right? Or the one area of their life or the couple relationships they have in their life where it's like, oh, I just can't honor that person's perspective. But like, can you, you know, asking yourself that deeper question, like, can I just honor that this is the lens that this person is looking through? And that doesn't affect this deeper connection that we have, right? And part of the diversity of our lenses is part of the oneness. Because if we were all looking through the same lens, there'd be so much we're missing, We'd be all looking at like, you know, one set of things as we move through life rather than all the beautiful perspectives that other people bring to the table and the things that they create from those perspectives that you could never create. I mean, I walk through life sometimes and just look at some of the things that human beings have created and think to myself, like, there'd be no way I could come up with that. Like, that is not my jam, right? That is not anything I would have ever developed or created or imagined or anything, but somebody did, or a group of other people did. And I can deeply appreciate that it's added to my life, right? Or, or it's something that I admire or think is beautiful. And if we, if we really get into that kind of frequency where we can see it like that, 
that, you know, we get to look at that kaleidoscope, like you say, of all of the things that other, you know, humans and bring to the table, and we get to appreciate those things, right? And appreciate even differences in opinion, because they add to that kaleidoscope. So I, I really really think that you sitting down for these three years and and writing this is such an important endeavor i know in your own personal life but but for all of us to look at at this time and i really enjoyed going through it and there were you know i've been on the journey of awakening and and shifting my perspective for a long time and i always love when i sit down and read a book where like it stops me in my tracks and there's part of your contribution that made me think of something a little bit differently, right? Or opened up that door for me. And I had that several times throughout reading your book. And that just says something about the energy and the, you know, the channeling and the things that you are bringing through in this book. And it's not easy. And I know it's not easy to, you know, to confront our own fears as we speak our truth. And so I just want to know you to know that I appreciate that um, so, so much. Like I, it really, really spoke to my heart and I had some aha moments and, you know, I just think that's beautiful gift for, for my life and so many other people's. Oh, well, that makes my heart just blossom. You know, anytime you share your journey and, and it touches another person or it shifts perspectives, to me, that means that you felt safe enough in the reading of it that you could let go of some aspect of your identity and let it shift and see a wider a wider picture. And I feel like that's what we're here to do at this time is to learn how to share our stories with each other and to be willing to walk a mile in someone else's shoes for a second and see it through that lens. And you might come back to your own shoes, but when you do, you're going to come back to your own shoes in a whole new way, knowing and understanding with empathy and this other person's worldview. It's, it's I think, what we're here to do at this time. So that's beautiful. And I just welcome everybody to it. I mean, it, you're, you'll find something in it. You might be triggered and that's okay. I think triggers are gold. So if you get triggered by it, awesome. Don't stay in the trigger, but you know, if you get triggered, you'll find an area of growth. So beautiful. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and sharing about your own journey and highly recommend for all of you guys listening. Um, love is fierce for sure. And we are looking at these themes right now. So it's an important, potent time to dive into this. So thank you so much for coming on again and, and being with me this morning. Thank you, Jenna. Hey, lovely. This is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at the Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love, here's to positive vibes and powerful awakenings. Mm -hmm.